0: We invite you back to 1 Kings chapter 10, the first 13 verses are text for this series entitled Solomon and the Queen, Solomon and the Queen. 1 Kings 10, reading at verse 1, and when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stone. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And When the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built, and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendants of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believe not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he the king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices very great store, and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir great plenty of almond trees and precious stones. And the king made of the Almog trees pillars for the house of the Lord, and for the king's house harps also, and psalteries for singers. There came no such almond trees, nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants." We'll review just a moment in reminding you that as we look at this passage of Scripture and series of messages, we are doing it on the basis of similitudes, which our first two messages told you all about. The Scripture is in the book of Hosea, which speaks to the effect that the Lord has spoken in similitudes. We brought many of those to your attention throughout Scripture, certainly not all but how that the words of the Bible are in many times illustrated through metaphors and things in similitudes. They are used throughout Scripture to educate us, inform us, and help work out the details of certain things that otherwise we would be lacking in. And so we are justified as we approach this text from the angle of similitudes and remember my definition and I want you to remember that it's not just my definition it's a simplified version of what a similitude is obviously similitude similar is in that word but a comparative resemblance is what we're talking about with a similitude a comparative resemblance And as we told you before, this is expressed in such terms that we use, you may have heard us use or others use, that in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, there are types and shadows and likenesses of things that have a greater meaning. Taking that which is natural, comparing it with that which is spiritual. The Lord did the same thing in using parables. Parables. He took something that was natural, and through the usage of many metaphors, he would teach something that was spiritual. And so in these series, we are blessed as believers that when we read these 13 verses, we don't just read a piece of history. We don't just read a nice little story about two people's interaction that had never met before. Like we've talked about, and I'll continue to use this, the 3D picture thing. As believers, we can read a story like this, which is history, which is interesting, which is a narrative of the interaction of two people, but we can see a spiritual similitude there. In other words, and this is what we'll be doing today and in the following messages, we can look into this story and we can see Solomon so vividly and so clearly as a similitude, comparative resemblance, type, or shadow, likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see the Queen of Sheba as both ourselves and sinners who come to Christ... And the effect that coming to Christ has when one is converted. So that is the deeper meaning that we'll be speaking to you about in the subject Solomon and the Queen. Alright? And of course Christ himself made this very clear with the text in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 42. When he spoke to the effect that the Queen of Sheba would rise up against the generation in which Christ lived would rise up against them in judgment because that generation literally rejected Christ. She came and saw Solomon and in all his glory and guess what? Believed, was blessed, went away a changed person never to be the same because of that experience and that meeting. Likewise it is with all sinners who come to Christ, believe upon him, are blessed by him, never be the same. So so Jesus Himself said, as she would judge the generation he lived in, a greater than Solomon is here, speaking of himself. So Jesus used a similitude, a comparative resemblance between him and Solomon and said, as great as Solomon was, and all the things about him, there's one greater than him, and that's me. Now, if we set aside the words of the Lord Jesus Christ there and just stick with humanity, then again, there was no greater than Solomon. Until Christ came, Solomon was the greatest. And humanly speaking, apart from Christ, nobody will ever come, Nobody will ever live who was like Solomon. No man, no woman, no creature of any kind would possess the wisdom, understanding, and even perhaps the prosperity and efficiency, I'll put it that way, of Solomon's kingdom that he had. People would say, well, there's a lot of people today a lot richer than Solomon. They may be. But there's nobody who's been as rich as Solomon and had wisdom with it. So, comparative resemblance. And in fact, I would encourage you to do this as we continue this study. Just go read in the book of Kings. You know, start in 1 Kings chapter 1 because that's where the story really begins about David dying and he dies in the second chapter and Solomon takes over. And... In the 10th chapter you see where Solomon has already risen to when the queen comes to visit him. And it's hard to imagine all that there was in that time that he was blessed with. You talk about a time of prosperity. A time of blessing. The wars are gone. David, Solomon's father was the one who was the warrior. Remember that? I mean, David fought the Philistines, the enemies of the Lord, and through the work and blessing of God upon David, when Solomon come along, there was reserved by God a time of peace, prosperity, the effect of all of those wars. The enemies are set aside... And here is Solomon and all his wisdom, all his glory, and the prosperity of the nation. Israel, in fact, has not enjoyed a time like this since then and will not until he who is greater than Solomon regathers them in the end time into his own kingdom. So, when you read that in First Kings... It is not, has not, and will not be superseded except by the kingdom of Christ. And again, I've read it many times and I'm amazed every time at the magnitude and multitude of the blessings of the kingdom under Solomon. All right, today what we want to look at is Solomon in the similitude of Christ. The similitude of Solomon in Christ. So we're going to be looking at things concerning Solomon that speak of Christ. And of course in Christ they will all have a greater fulfillment because Solomon was still a sinner. Christ was not a sinner. Christ was the Savior of sinners. And do this with me as we go through this with this in the back of your mind again. A greater than Solomon is here. So we look at Solomon in order that we may see he who is greater in all his glory. And this is why we're looking at Solomon. Because by looking at Solomon, we could see what we would not otherwise be able to see in briefly what the New Testament says about Christ. Alright? The first thing, and we're going to just try to pick things here we've tried to do this in a chronological order that fits so it makes it easier to understand so the first thing we want to draw your attention to concerning solomon was that before he became king and his father's successor it was prophesied that he would be a king of israel This is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to do a good bit of reading today to show you these things. We want you to be able to clearly see these things. Not only concerning Solomon, but once you see them in Solomon, it should be very easy to see them in Christ. 2 Samuel chapter 7 at verse 12. It speaks here and God is speaking literally to David Solomon's father here and uh, he says when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels and I will establish his kingdom he shall build an house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever." According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan, Nathan the prophet, speak unto David. And if you remember the setting here, David had a desire to build a permanent temple or house of the Lord. His desire was good. God just hadn't told him to do that. So it was revealed through Nathan the prophet that no, I don't want you to build me a house. I have a plan better than your plan and that is I'm going to raise up your own seed and he will build me this house. Actually, the Lord would actually say that David was, had, was, uh, had blood on his hands because he was the one who was the warring king. Solomon would be the king of, pass, of peacetime in that regard. And remember this, while we're dealing with that history, Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second king. Solomon would be the third king. And as he says here and made reference from Saul, the kingdom and the kingship was taken from Saul and given to David in that regard. So, Solomon would be the third king, and as you see right here, it was prophesied That after David died, Solomon would be king and Solomon would build the house of the Lord. Verse 12 there shall proceed out of thy bowels, you know, thy seed. He will build a house for my name and etc. Well, again, it's very easy to understand how the things said here are a similitude of what was said of Christ, isn't it? It was prophesied that Christ would be king, was it not? And that very familiar passage that reminds us of that is Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 and 7. Comparative resemblance, right? A similitude. Isaiah 9, verse 6, it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. If you just sat down and wrote those two passages down side by side, It would be like a lot of exercises that children are given in school where things are lined up on the left side and on the right side and then they are to take the task of drawing a line from the things over here that connect with the things over here. You could do that and you could probably have 15 or 20 things very easily from the two passages I've just read you. And some of these things we'll be referring to because the points we're going to make are contained in these scriptures right here in Isaiah chapter 9. But again, a child is going to be born. It's going to be the seed. It's going to be the government be upon him. Look at the names that are given there. His government and peace, no end. The throne of David established with judgment, justice forever, and God's going to do it. Just as he would raise up Solomon, David's successor, one day, many centuries later, he would raise up his own son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, a greater than Solomon. All right, beautiful picture, beautiful picture. When you take those scriptures, put them together, you see, oh, there was more meaning in that than when I read it all by itself. By reading them together, it enhances and details the meaning. One other scripture that we'll probably reference numerous times is in Psalms chapter 2, a very familiar psalm, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in certain ways and in certain things. And the sixth verse of that psalm says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And that's exactly what God the Father would do with God the Son, right? He was to be a king When he came, he was a king. He has not yet manifested himself literally as a king, but spiritually he is our king. He started a kingdom, being a king. We are his servants of that kingdom. That kingdom and that king will be literal, and everybody will see it and behold it one day in the millennial reign of Christ. So, statement, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So a prophesied king. The king, of course, was to be of the seed of David. We read that again there in the text that we read in Second Samuel. I'll just point it out to you again. He was the seed of David in verse 12. Thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. So it would be literally the seed of David. We we make that point very clear, right? David's son. In fact, if you might remember just historically here, it would be David's second son with Bathsheba. In fact, after the first son died, the second son was conceived and Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon. Now back to the book of Isaiah for the typology of Christ in the 11th, chapter and verse 1 we read this about Jesus the Messiah would also be of the seed of David chapter 11 verse 1 and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots who was Jesse David's father So out of the stem of Jesse, the stem of Jesse would have been David. And notice a branch, branch, capital B, special designation, shall grow out of his roots. It goes on to say, we'll just read this since we're here, verse 2, look at it. What does it say about him? Again, some comparative resemblances here that we see in Solomon. Also, more so and greater, fulfilled in Christ. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and if she shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Many of those things will be seen in Solomon in our study, but again, they are seen perfectly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at another few scriptures concerning... Again, much is said, Old Testament and New, about Christ being the seed of David. Psalms chapter 132 from David himself. Psalms 132 and verse 11. Verse 11 reads in that psalm, The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. All right, he did that with Solomon. We know that. David wrote this afterward. Um, verse, Will I sit upon thy throne? Verse 17. Next verse I want to read. Therefore will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. Reflective looking back of Solomon. Looking forward. Those things speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the New Testament and finalize this point. Acts chapter 13 and verse 23. Acts chapter 13 and verse 23. And really, we need to, this is giving history here, some. Let's begin, let's include 22, it'll help you with the context. It says, and when, and this is again a chronological history here about Saul in verse 21. It says in verse 22, and when he, God, had removed him, Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will.'" Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised up unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Very clear, isn't it? Very, Just like pieces of a puzzle. You just Once you see them, they just fall right into place there. So as Solomon was the seed of David, so Christ would be the seed of David. And if you read the genealogies that we have in the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, Uh, You read those things, you see again, he literally did descend from David and from that tribe. The next thing we would notice is Solomon's name. The name Solomon means peace. Peace. Very simple. I don't know if you knew that. you remember that? Peace. That's his name. Solomon lived in a time of peace, but of course, if you know Solomon's life, his end was not so pretty as far as him personally. But again, referring back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, I won't read the whole thing since we've already read it, read it but our Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9. In verse 6, so while Solomon's name was peace, he lived in a time of peace. Through his wisdom and understanding, people enjoyed peace. That peace was of a materialistic and physical blessing. The peace that Christ gives is supernatural, divine, of grace, and supersedes all of the physical peace that people enjoyed under Solomon. Jesus spoke about peace a lot. The Apostle John wrote about it a lot. Peace I give, give unto you, not as the world giveth, but my peace I give unto you. Again, so Solomon brought peace. Christ brings greater peace because he is the Prince of Peace. And I must say this because, again, men of every generation have lived that talk of some kind of peace that want peace of some kind, that anticipate peace of some kind. And the United Nations supposedly works toward peace in the world, the League of Nations before that, and all kinds of organizations of men. And I don't mean to bust your bubble, but if you think that's going to come to pass, I will bust it because Scripture says there's not going to be peace. There's not going to be any world peace. No man will bring it about. The Antichrist will fake it, but the only time we're going to see world peace is when the Prince of Peace comes. Then, in the millennial reign, we're going to see things that, again, men, nations, kingdoms, philosophers have only dreamed about, but were futile in trying to bring to pass. Christ when he came the first time what was the angel's message to the shepherds and so forth pre-peace right glad tidings peace on earth that is yet to happen hasn't it the peace that Christ brought is the peace that you have as a believer by faith in him in your heart one day when Christ comes and rules and reigns on this earth We're going to have worldwide peace. What does the scripture say about that? Weapons of war will be turned into agricultural implements. It's going to be a time of peace and prosperity that superseded all the peace and prosperity in the time of Solomon. A greater than Solomon is here. Now Solomon had another name. I don't know if you remember that or not. He was named Solomon, but God, again through the, the prophet Nathan, gave Solomon another name, and that is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 25. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 25. It says, And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name jedediah because of the lord and because of the lord is kind of a partial definition of jedediah it actually for our understanding would mean beloved of the lord jedediah that's a beautiful name I mean I like that name personally uh, that's what a great name for for children or a man or a man-child to be born. And so again, notice that particularly. Solomon was his name, but Nathan, the prophet, as told by God, said "He's he's got another name, which tells us really who he is, beloved of the Lord. And in fact, look at the previous verse. This is going to be the next point we'll make. But we'll just combine them here, shall we? Since it's easy. Verse 24, David comforted Bathsheba his wife. This is after the first child of adultery died. And he went into her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. Notice this, and the Lord loved him. Okay? The Lord loved him. No wonder then, the manifestation of that was the Lord sent the prophet and said you can call him Solomon but his name's also Jedidiah because he's beloved my beloved okay now just think of that word for a little bit that is such a special phrase and title beloved of the Lord David was beloved of the Lord. Solomon was beloved of the Lord. Moses was beloved of the Lord. All the people of God have been beloved of the Lord. If you today are a child of God, you are the beloved of the Lord. Because whom the Lord loves today, He has always loved with an everlasting love. He's going to love nobody new today or tomorrow, nor is He ever going to love you more then He has already loved you. That's the love of God according to the Scripture. But if you can apply that to yourself today, well, that's about the best thing you could say about yourself, I believe. Isn't it? I am beloved of the Lord. Wow! That statement is almost identical and in harmony with, Psalms 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd. You reverse it. The shepherd is my Lord. I am the Lord's beloved. The Lord loves me. Why does the Lord love you? There's an answer. Or rather... Uh, Because he chose to. What I started to say is the order that John makes, we love him because he first loved us. We were beloved of him before we ever showed any love unto him, right? So again, that phrase, that title, beloved of the Lord. So the comparison is as much as God loves Solomon, as much as God loves you, as God... Much as God loves all of His children, there's somebody He loved even more. Who's that? The only begotten of the Father. We don't quarrel with that, do we? We're not jealous of that, are we? I mean, we like that. Because if anybody deserves to be loved more than anybody else, it is our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal, perfect, impeccable son of God and the Bible speaks thus of him being the beloved of the Lord Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 through 4 Jesus Christ the beloved of the father behold my servant whom I uphold it doesn't say my son says my servant He was a son, he became a servant. Mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. Well, God delights in you, but when you sin, God doesn't delight in you so much. Never had that problem with Jesus. Always delighted in Jesus, because Jesus literally was, quote unquote, a perfect son. He was God. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment into truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth. In the isles shall wait for his law. That's the beloved of the Lord. Let's turn over to the New Testament and look at the reference of that. Matthew chapter twelve and verse 17. Jesus withdraws himself from a crowd here. And he says, and then it says Matthew says in verse 17 that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Esaias the prophet saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment into victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Quoted for that. Beloved of the Lord. Can I give you one more? Let's back up a few pages in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 3 and verse 17. Chapter 3 and verse 17. When John the Baptist baptized the Lord Jesus Christ, and he came out of the water, the heavens were open. Verse 16 says. John saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting upon the Lord Jesus Christ, accompanied by the voice of God the Father saying in verse 17, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In that context, he is God's only beloved Son. Let me put it to you like this. The rest of us are sons and daughters of the living God. Jesus is our elder brother. We are heirs and joint heirs with Him. But you know what the difference really is? I mean, there are many, but it gets down to the fact that Jesus was the eternal, only begotten Son of God. And all of us are adopted. But adoption is a beautiful thing. According to Ephesians chapter 1. So Christ in the supreme, exalted, only place of being the beloved, only begotten of the Father. But yet the rest of us through Him being brought into the family of God and sharing in all the rights and privileges of Christ Jesus, our elder brother and our Lord and Savior. Well, we just covered the part there also in 2 Samuel 7, and 24, and or 2 Samuel 12, 24, that said that when he was born, the statement is made, the Lord loved him. That means the Lord had always loved him, as we said, the Lord always would love him, as it is true of all of the elect. Because God only has one kind of love. It's everlasting. God would have to change for His love to change. And God's not going to change. So His love's not going to change. And what a wonderful thought. What a humbling thought to know that God loves you. It's a good question to ask anyone Does God love you? And if you say "Ah, yes, then we have another question. Why does He love you? Why should He love you? Who are you that God should be mindful of you? What have you ever done for God? What are you worthy of when it comes to God? God's love is unconditional, God loves the unlovable. God loves those that should not be loved. But God loves anyway because God is love. He has a right to love whom He will and those whom He loves will in turn love Him. And that's the best way to know if you're loved of God is do you love Him? And don't just say you love Him. Because the love of God manifests itself. All real love manifests itself. And all fake love manifests itself. If you love God, that love, according to Scripture, not according to Arthur, will be manifested by your obedience to Him. That's what the word Lord means loving obedience that's the proof you love him if you love him he loved you first what a joy what a comfort that is let me give you a scripture in John chapter 17 and we'll wrap this up for this morning Christ speaking of the Lord loving him You know the intimacy of the intercessory prayer. John 17, Christ speaking in the most intimate words and terms. Anywhere recorded in the Bible with His Father. In verse 24 of the 17th chapter, He says, Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now, again, there's never been a time when God the Father didn't love God the Son. And likewise, we could say there's never been a time when God the Father hasn't loved His elect. And there's never been a time when Christ hasn't loved His own. Jesus, throughout this, if you read this, He wants His children, those whom He redeemed, to enjoy the same privileges of sonship, daughtership, you'll have it, that He enjoyed. Father, love them. Father, care for them. Father, watch over them as you have me. Father, may the relationship with you and them be the same as the relationship with you and I. And that's the beauty of this intercessory prayer. Christ is interceding for all of us who believe. The Lord loved Solomon. The Lord loved His only son even more. If you're saved today, the Lord has always loved you. And you love Him back. And you will show that love by your obedience to Him, like our Lord showed His obedience to the love of the Father in committing Himself to the cross to be sacrificed on our behalf. The love of God is manifested in the sacrifice of Christ. Your love to your Lord will be, sacri- will be manifest in the same way in your sacrifice of obedience to Him. These are just a few of the similitudes today. But we'll pick up here next time. Lord willing, we hope this has been a blessing to you.